Hey guys, Lachlan here. Just a really quick message before we get into the show. We're currently running a survey to learn more about our audience. We want to know who you guys are. We want to know what you like. We want to use that information to make Brad is Bad Person a better podcast. It only takes a couple of minutes to fill out and it would be a really big help to us. So please go to bradisabadperson.com slash survey or click the link in the description of this episode and have your say. Now I'll get out of the way. Please enjoy the show. Now, in order to maintain our journalistic integrity, I think it's very important. I need to offer a retraction, something I said a couple of episodes ago. In our episode on patents, I uh, corrected you, Brad, and told you that centrifugal force was not a real thing and that it's actually centripetal force. Well, I have been corrected. My correction has been corrected. And the fact that Morgan went so hard on journalistic integrity in that episode has led me to uh, just put this out there. Centrifugal and centripetal force are two different things. Um, and you were, in fact, correct, Brad, in using centrifugal rather than centripetal. So, uh, very sorry to you, both you, Brad, and to our audience for spreading fake news. Vindication, finally. <laughs> now you know you can trust us because we pick up on our errors. And hey, right. Brad actually used the correct word for once. So, that's I know. very <laughs> exciting as well. Away. Hello and welcome to your favorite podcast, Brad is a Bad Person. My name is Morgan. I am the host and captain of this podcast. I'm joined, as always, by Lachlan. Ahoy, mateys. Who's kind of like a loyal crew member, and Brad. Ahoy, hoy. Who is basically a male second-class passenger who has no chance of getting on any lifeboats. (laughs) (laughs) Today we'll be talking about Titanic, the RMS Titanic, the Royal Mail Ship Titanic, the postal service ship that went down on its maiden voyage in 1912, failing to deliver its packages. Thousands of people had their packages sink to the bottom of the Atlantic on that fateful (laughs) April night. What a terrible mail service ship. Never successfully (laughs) delivered one package. We'll be working our way through the history of this mail ship, its sinking, the discovery of its wreckage, and it wouldn't be Brad as a bad person if we didn't get to the bottom of the conspiracy angles to this story. You mean the truth. So, ahoy mateys, all aboard, full steam into today's episode. Are you excited? Oh, so excited. <laughs> that was brilliant. Well done. Thank well you. Done. I was like, I should actually know what RMS stands for. And I was like, this is a motherfucking mail ship? I honestly, <laughs> I thought it was Royal Merchant Ship, to be honest. Oh. Yeah. I've been looking into it pretty hard, so I know what the RMS stands for. Again, now, so. I was mistaken. Just it was as a with fuckload of mail. A fuckload of mail on that ship. Like, they were sorting 60,000 pieces of mail per day. Spoilers. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. So, it's not like a small amount. Um, not just, you know, a couple of sacks thrown in the old hold there. there I mean, was it a, was a big ship, so. It was, a, it, was a, it was decent, you know. They didn't have the internet, so you couldn't just send an email. <laughs> yeah, and it's even slower than snail mail. It's sail mail. <laughs> Fuck it out. <laughs> that is so disappointing. All right, Lachlan, do you want to get us started by cracking open a cold one with the boys? Anything to stop these fucking jokes. It's time to crack open a cold one with the boys. 
So a listener wrote in to us and uh, kindly offered to buy me a beer for cracking open a cold one with the boys. Uh, so Ooh. I'd like to say thank you to Josh. Well, actually, I don't know if I'm saying thank you yet because I haven't tried it yet. But um, <laughs> this week I have Cloudwater Brewing Co. And the beer is called A Name for Everything. And I guess there isn't a name for everything because this doesn't actually have a name. It's just called A Name for Everything. Um, but it is an Imperial Passion Fruit Sour, which <laughs> does not sound appealing. No, uh, the can's, can's quite nice. The label's got like fireworks on it. Um, it's a big can. It is how much? 440 mils. Um, 7.4%, which is nice. And as this is brewed and packaged by Cloudwater Brewing Company in Manchester, England, uh, it says this can contains 3.3 UK units. God knows what they are. Um, <laughs> it's basically the same as standard drinks, I think. I would assume so. Um, it's got tasting notes on the side of the can. Makes it sound like it's not going to be very good. But at the same time, it does sound the back. Hops fade fast, which... Come on. Is what I let's like. Let's crack it open. Uh, so, <laughs> thank you again, Josh. And uh, let's crack this bitch open. It's going to be Ooh. fucking gross. <laughs> That's not bad. Oh. Really? <laughs> you get surprised once in a while on uh, cracking over a cold one with the boys. C-O-A-C-O-W-T-B, as the kids call it. Well done. So, it was Imperial Passion Fruit Sour. Is that what it... Yeah. Yeah. Never, never heard of it. Sounds interesting. Disgusting. So, in this episode, Brad's going to tell us all about the Titanic, and then I'm going to come in, tell us all about the wreckage of the Titanic, how it was discovered, and uh, then Lachlan's going to come in and talk to us about something else, which oh, we already <laughs> talked about it. It's not a spoiler. He's going to talk about the conspiracy. Blow this whole story out of the water. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Brad, tell us everything one would need to know about the Titanic up until 1970. Okay. No, 1913. Just wanted to set the mood. Yeah, that's beautiful. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Titanic, adjective, of exceptional strength, size, or power. Strength and length. (laughs) Shut up. The White Star Line's second ship in its fleet of three Olympic-sized passenger liners was absolutely deserving of this title. White Star Lines commissioned the building of the RMS Titanic in 1909 in unison with her sister ship, the RMS Olympic. Both ships were produced to replace aging passenger liners and to compete with rival company Cunard Lines, RMS Mauritania and RMS Lusitania. To follow would be a third passenger liner uh, named the Britannia, well and truly bringing the heat to Cunard Line's new flagships. I'm just going to fact check you there. It was actually the Britannic, not the Britannia. Oh, was it Britannic? Sorry. Oh, yeah. No. yeah. Okay. Sorry. I've auto-corrected that from right, Britannic to Britannia. Anyway, Cunard Line had launched uh, the Mauritania and the Lusitania uh, several years before construction on the Titanic and Olympia would begin, going with speed over comfort mentality. Cunard Line had developed the Mauritania and the Lusitania to 
ferry passengers as quickly across the Atlantic as possible. To do so, they had equipped passenger liners with large turbine engines. Nice. Powerful, but loud. In addition to the noise... Banging it across the Atlantic. Yep. In addition to the noise, uncomfortable vibrations could be felt throughout the entire journey. So they were shake, rattling, and rolling across the Atlantic. (laughs) (laughs) The White Star Line seized on Cunard Line's error and went in the reverse direction. Rather than trying to make the journey fast, they would make it a slow, cumbersome hulk of a ship that you wouldn't want to get off at the end of your journey. With that concept in mind... White Star Lines approached the Hardland and Wolf Shipyard with nothing more than a sketch and gave Chief Naval Architect Thomas Andrews carte blanche to design three passenger liners, no matter the expense, so long as they were the most comfortable way of crossing the Atlantic. On the 29th of July, 1908, Andrews would present his drawings to J. Bruce Ismay and the other White Star Lines executives. Two days later, uh, they would sign off on Andrews' ideas and the planning for this monumental task would begin. To build ships of this size, you would require a gantry of equally titanic proportions. (laughs) Titanic proportions. The Arrow Gantry was constructed in preparation to lay the hull of the Olympia and the Titanic simultaneously. It stood 69 metres high, 82 (laughs) metres wide, and... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's not the only time you're going to hear. Every time I type this out as well, I've thought about putting nice in brackets. Um, <laughs> I say 69 metres high, 82 metres wide, and 260 metres long. So huge was this workstation that itself weighed 6,000 tonnes. Whoa. <laughs> Work began on the Titanic on the 31st of March, uh, 1909, with, uh, just some three months after the Olympia. The design was basically that of a large box girder with the keel as a backbone and the hull forming the ribs. The entire construction and fit out of the Titanic would take 26 months. Her hull would consist of over 2,000 plates of 1.5 to 2 inch thick rolled steel. Each plate would measure approximately 2 meters by 9 meters and weigh between 2.5 and 3 tons. The hull plates were laid in a clinkered or overlapped fashion to increase hull strength and integrity. Arc welding was in its infancy at the time, so rather than being welded together, the Titanic's hull was hand riveted. Whoa. Over 3 million iron and steel rivets were hammered in. Oh my god. (laughs) With a combined weight somewhere near 1,200 tons just in rivets alone. How would that stay afloat? So much metal and stuff. <laughs> it's, it's fucking insane. buoyancy. Wow. How does that work? Wow. It didn't. <laughs> oh. It didn't stay afloat. Oh, actually, it did. It stayed away for quite a while. Well, sometimes. <laughs> not long enough. Yeah, not, not long enough, exactly. Uh, to cap off the initial construction of the hull, two side anchors were fitted, and, the, uh, and a single hand forge center anchor was fitted, <laughs> weighing over 16 tons itself. Well, the anchor required a team of 20 Clydesdale horses just to deliver it. Jesus. How many horsepower in that? That's about 20 horsepower. Mm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> over 15,000 men worked on the construction of the Titanic's hull, and nine were killed and 246 were severely wounded. And their <laughs> idea of severely wounded was basically missing a limb. <laughs> yeah, you so, get that, though, before the days that, of oh and so the, the Titanic had claimed blood before it would go on to claim a lot more blood. Just <laughs> FYI. Mm. 
When the construction of the hull was completed, 22 tons of soap and tallow were required just to launch the fucking thing. What? Why? So oh, they, to slide it down the dry dock. Yeah, to slide it down the dry yeah, dock. They needed 22 right. tons of soap and tallow. Jesus. Yeah. 100,000 people came out to watch it get launched as well. Yeah, no so shit. You don't get that kind of turnout these days. Not when, the, you know, the Ruby Princess gets launched or whatever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> with the... With the Titanic at sea, its full fit-out was completed. So they had to build the hull on land, launch it, and then build everything else because it would have been too heavy to launch it after they put in, you know, cabins and everything uh-huh. like that. Um, so its full kit, uh, fit-out was completed. To combat the issue of power and noise, two reciprocating s- steam engines were fitted in a combination with a single Parsons turbine engine this provided a decent enough max speed without compromising on comfort through unnecessary advi- uh, vibrations. Additionally, work was completed on a 78-foot rudder with two engines required just to control that. And I said engines because I just was improvising. Fred, say what you want. Say <laughs> what you want. Don't, don't no. let us stop you from being you. Hey, I want to do it the way you guys want to do it, nah. okay? So I'm making sure that I'm the, highlighting all the words you don't like. The listeners <laughs> love you for you, Brad. The Titanic departed from its traditional style from traditional styling at the time. Rather than being decorated like an English manor house, it instead aimed to compete with the likes of the Ritz, being decorated in what was described as an empire style. Mm. When final fit out was complete, the Titanic would have nine decks, so decks A through G, the boat deck, and the all up deck, which is a weird name. I don't know where all up comes from, but all it's probably up named deck. after someone. Mm. As well as that, it would have swimming pools, uh, Turkish baths. Squash courts, gymnasiums, libraries, high-class restaurants, and its infamous grand staircase on deck G. Oh. Uh, Andrews had also considered safety in his design, equipping the Titanic with six, 16 sets of davits, capable of holding four 65-person wooden lifeboats each for a total of 4,160 seats available in the case of an emergency, well over the hypothetical maximum capacity of the Titanic at 3,353 people. The Titanic also featured 16 compartments separated by 15 bulkheads capable of being sealed from the bridge. Notably, none of these were capped. This will come into play later. (laughs) Rather, they merely extended above the waterline. It is estimated that the Titanic could have four compartments entirely filled with water and still stay afloat, leading to the moniker, the unsinkable ship, which is... Wink, wink. Wink, wink. Uh... (laughs) When all was said and done, the Titanic would hold 833 first-class passengers, 614 second-class passengers, and 1,006 third-class passengers, for a total of 2,453 passengers. Add to that, its staff could exceed over 900 people. Jesus Christ, that's a lot of staff. That is a lot of staff. Um, The ship itself would be the largest ever created at the time, weighing in at... And this is going to blow your mind. Over 46,328 tons. Allegedly. Allegedly. With a displacement. So they always measure ships in two things, which I've learned here is the actual registered tonnage and hmm. then um, the amount of water it was able to displace, I guess, uh-huh. which was over 52,310 tons. That's a lot. They, they should have called it the gigantic. Well, That's funny huge. enough. <laughs> the Britannic was actually going to be called the Gitanic, uh, Gigantic. Gitanic! <laughs> Gigantic! 
before they landed on Britannic, it was actually going to be called the Gigantic. Yeah, that's um, a fun fact. Yeah, there's a little fun fact. She would stand. It's a context fact. The Titanic, not the Gigantic or the Gigantic. No, Gigantic. I don't know. <laughs> uh, would start. No one would knows. end up being 269 meters long, 28.2 meters wide, and 53.3 meters tall. Holy moly, she's a big bitch. <laughs> <laughs> So the Titanic's maiden voyage was set to be from Southampton in England across the English Channel to Cherbourg in France, and I'm sure I've mispronounced that, but fuck the French, onto Queenstown <laughs> in Ireland, and then across the Atlantic Sea onto her successful arrival at New York, New York, to much fanfare. The Titanic had been tested with a bare-bones crew several days prior to her maiden voyage. With no issue whatsoever, she had been declared seaworthy, which is true. It was a very well-made ship. Uh, her captain, Edward Smith, was an extremely well-liked and the most senior captain in the White Star Lines fleet. Uh, so he, to make sure the maiden voyage went as smoothly as possible, he was pulled off the sister ship Olympia and made the captain of the Titanic. Olympic. Come on, Brad. Oh, my God. Olympic. <laughs> they all end in ick. They all end in ick. I know they all end in ick. Uh, so how did brain. the Titania sink? Hate you. <laughs> <laughs> all right listen i've obviously missed i've typed an a instead of a c there and called it the olympia because i'm reading um anyway the titan titania <laughs> <laughs> the titanic would set sail from southampton on the 10th of april 1912 disaster struck almost immediately when the ship's displacement of water sucked the year the nearby SS New York so hard that its mooring snapped and it came within four feet of colliding with the Titanic. Oh, Edward Smith was able to deftly maneuver the ship around the New York and leave the port. Additional complications arose when the pier in Cherbourg couldn't handle the Titanic's immense girth and the passengers <laughs> were forced <laughs> the passengers were forced to be ferried out to the ship. By the time she had left Queenstown, heading across the Atlantic, some 2,224 people were on board, uh, including 885 staff and 1,339 guests. So, And that's just who was registered. Apparently, there was a lot of people who managed to sneak on board. Stowaways. Stowaways, yeah, people. And there were some people who didn't show up. Yeah, exactly, Mr. Dawson. Mm -hmm. So... Well, no, he had a ticket. Um, He won his ticket for our square. He won it in that poker game, yeah. Keep up. Yeah, keep up, mate. Um, as the route was a was one frequented by all manner of ships, that is a route across the Atlantic, so I think they used to call it the Southampton, Cherbourg, New York route. Um, uh, the crew received and sent out regular updates on their position as well as ice flow or other hazards that could be present. On the 14th of April, just two days after beginning her maiden voyage, the Titanic received several warnings of large icebergs in the air. The last of those would come from the Californian at 10.55 p.m. and was received by Jack Phillips on the Titanic. Now, Mr. Phillips uh, actually reprimanded the Californian for interrupting him because he took messages and received messages, but he also did those for the passengers. And um, he worked for another company, not uh, White Star Lines. He worked for what's called Marconi. So they did all the transmissions. Uh And when the Californian um, radioed him to let him know that 
there was icebergs around, he actually got upset because he interrupted a transmission he was receiving on behalf of a passenger. So he never passed the message on at 10.55 p.m. Oh. to the bridge. Oh, no. So this will come back into play, probably, maybe. Um, <laughs> as for standard practice at the time, Edward Smith kept the ship at full speed, regardless of the icebergs, um, and just diverted the course slightly more southbound believing, as I'm sure all captains believed at the time, that icebergs posed no significant threat to such a large ship. Uh Um, There had been, you know, collisions with icebergs in the past. Um, I think it was a German ship had hit one head-on and the ship had come out, like, pretty much unscathed. So it wasn't unusual for them to strike. This is the unsinkable ship. Yeah, exactly. He was high on its might and its sister ship, the Olympia, a.k.a. the Olympic, um, (laughs) you know, was unsinkable while he'd been at the at the wheel. So, uh, you know, why, why wouldn't this one be any less unsinkable? Mm. Um, <laughs> at 11.40 p.m. that night, Captain Smith would get a rude awakening. Frederick Fleet, good alliteration, was manning the crow's nest, and it was noted that during his tenure in the crow's nest, the sea was eerily calm, which actually hinders the observation of icebergs from the crow's nest. Oh. They also didn't have binoculars, you know, conspiracy. Um, yeah. So, basically, they use the waves to catch a glimpse of the outline of icebergs at night. So, if it's eerily oh, calm, you actually, yeah. from so the crow's nest, the you can't see. the waves crashing on something. Yeah, and mm. the ship's natural mm. tilt will also, you know, see, you'll see the, I guess, the shadow or an outline. So, when it, with it being eerily calm, he, they literally didn't see it until it was right on top of them. Um by the time Frederick Fleet noticed the iceberg, the ship was already dead in the water. First officer, William Murdoch, threw the ship to the left and the engines to reverse in an attempt to have the iceberg miss on the starboard, or for those plebs of you who are not, you know, who are land lovers, the right side of the ship. <laughs> Unfortunately. Those who aren't privy to the rich naval tradition of Brad is a bad mm, person. Exactly. Yeah. Ishmael uh, Brad here. Unfortunately, and I like this here, Murdoch's manoeuvre, I thought that was a pretty cool <laughs> way we should call it, um, I'm bringing that in, failed, and the right-hand side of the ship, or the starboard ship, started side, starboard side of the ship, was dragged along the enormous iceberg. Contrary to popular belief, the iceberg didn't tear through the metal of the ship. Rather, the steel used in the construction of passenger liners at the time was susceptible to becoming brittle in the cold. As such, the compromised hull imploded from the pressure of the water outside and the five sealed compartments were flooded with water. Five, of course, being one over that magical number of four, that would mean the ship (laughs) was now doomed no matter what anyone did on board. (laughs) When will they learn? Why couldn't they have made one more unsinkable? I know, exactly. Just crazy. (laughs) It's like, you guys remember that episode of Futurama where it's got 9,000 hulls? In the mm. oil taker, <laughs> <laughs> an iceberg breaches all 9,000. Why couldn't they make it 9,001? <laughs> That's exactly it. They should, yeah, they should have made it more buoyant. I don't know. Yep. It's just a rookie mistake. Um, <laughs> anyway, by 12.15 a.m., the crew had assessed the damage and realized they were fighting a lost cause. Captain Smith ordered distress signals to be sent out to have anyone in the area um, alerted to their situation and also to begin firing distress flares in hopes that someone might see them. 
An immediate evacuation was ordered, and as I'm sure you've all heard, the crew and passengers made it off the ship safely in the adequate number of lifeboats and were promptly rescued by the nearby Californian. Of Wasn't that the Californic? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, my bad. Uh, no, in the Atlantia Ocean? That's how it should have happened. But unfortunately for all, approximately 2,224 people on board, those lifeboat davits that I mentioned weren't even half full. Instead oh, of the nice. maximum 64 lifeboats, two additional collapsible 45-person lifeboats and two 40-person cutters, the Titanic had a pathetic 14 65-person lifeboats, two collapsible lifeboats and two cutters, totaling uh, a capacity of 1,080 seats. That's not enough. That is less than half of the people on board, guys. What? Oh, no. What, what happened? Was everyone okay? Well, to the Titanic's credit, they had over the mandated number of lifeboats Lifeboat seats required by the British Board of Trade, which was a minimum of 16 lifeboats with a capacity of at least 990. Over the next two hours, the Titanic would fill with water from the bow side of the ship and the, with the bulkheads failing to keep out the water as they you were uncapped. Do you mean from the port side of the ship? No, the, the bow. So the bow at the front. Well, the, yeah, okay. That's not really a yeah, side. Sorry, sorry. Well, the okay. bow would, would dip underwater. So <laughs> okay. okay. Right. Maybe I, I, I wasn't as... Uh, succinct as I could have been there. Yeah. Um, Good so word. the the bulkheads, uh, so those sixteen bulkheads or uh, fifteen bulkheads that they were so proud of, failed to keep out any water because they were uncapped. So the moment they went below sea level, they were utterly useless. Um, and as the bow began to dip further and further below the water, people were slowly, and I mean slowly, leaving in lifeboats. And those lifeboats weren't even fucking full. Oh. No. Um, at 2.20 a.m. on the 15th of April, the deck of the Titanic would disappear beneath the water and the rate at which it sunk would increase dramatically as the water had now reached exposed grills and grates. The stern famously lifted into the air as the bow was pulled under, creating such a force on the hull and keel as to snap the ship entirely in two. The stern section, with people still clinging to it, began to sink, causing the propellers and the rudder to be lifted into the air with people still gripping on to whatever they could to avoid being thrown into the icy Atlantic Ocean. At 2.25am, the ship would be swallowed, and some 1,500 people would be left in the water. All the lifeboats were used, but only 705 seats were occupied out of a potential 1,080. Survivors in lifeboats refused to go back to help those in the water for fear of being capsized, and ultimately only five people were pulled out of the water alive. Wow. The first ship to arrive was the was the Carpathian, a ship that had heard the Titanic's distress call and had travelled 107 kilometres to make it to the scene at just past 4am, long after any survivors could be located in the sea. Ironically, the Californian was located a little over 19 kilometres away from the scene of the tragedy, but had turned off her radio equipment for the night. When crew members spotted the distress flares, they were unable to determine the colour and as such, their captain refused to intervene. <laughs> Rather, he ordered that they try to make contact um, via the radio, and then when that was unsuccessful, through the light, through lights in Morse code, like literally, oh, like wow. lanterns. Yeah. Um, <laughs> when no contact was received, they never intervened. Hearing about the sinking of the Titanic the next day in what was probably one of the biggest I fucked up moments of all time. <laughs> In total, it is estimated that between 1,490 and 1,635 people died in the sinking of the HMS Titanic. Fuck. No context, Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
a 61-year-old postman in Kanagawa, Japan, had not delivered over 24,000 pieces of mail that he was hiding in his house. His excuse was it was too much bother to deliver them. Yokohama Postal Service have vowed that they will deliver all the mail, despite some of it being more than two decades old. I think that's fair. It would have been too much bother. It would have been, absolutely. Newman on Um, That was great timing, by the way. You made that really dark stat. (laughs) Just sound so much lighter, you know? Um, Yeah. That's pretty fucking bleak, though, isn't it? Yeah. Mm, That's a lot of people dead. I mean, I get the people on the the Titanic props for saying, you know, women and children first, you know? Um, Very chivalrous. Very chivalrous, but when you load up the, I think the first lifeboat went out with like 28 people on it instead of the <laughs> mandated oh, no. uh, 65 that could be put on there. Good um, Lord. Yeah. You know, they, they they really shit the bed that night. They goofed. Um, they done goofed. They easily could have overfilled boats as well and it probably would have been okay, but. Yeah. I mean, when and it's a the- life or death situation, you're going to try, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. Well, actually, then, apparently not. <laughs> well, you think, yeah. <laughs> well, they're on limited time as well. Like, it's not like they had four hours to get everybody in the lifeboats and test out how many people could fit in each one. Like, it was very... Everything was happening all at once. I guess. Yeah, but the, the capacity for the lifeboats is, like, printed on the side. It's, like, 65 people or oh, something. Oh, yeah, like yeah. That. They should... Yeah. Like, I don't know why they'd send out that first one. Maybe the person thought that there was enough... Oh, there Life was there was a bullshit excuse or... there where they were saying they weren't they they weren't sure the davits had been tested, so they were afraid that the boat they couldn't handle the weight of sixty five ah, people. Ah, get out of here! Yeah, yeah, yeah I know. Yeah, so they, they. I mean, it was just bullshit. It was just rich people, which women, rich women were like, "Nah, fuck them, fuck them. Let's just get out of here." You know, sounds yeah. about right. Yeah. Um. But yeah, even the fact that they didn't go back once the ship had sunk, like, pretty cowardly. You know, yeah. there's a fifteen hundred people in the water, and you're just going to sit there and just let them. Freeze to death. Well, you don't want to bring them on board and get your clothes wet, you know. <laughs> yeah, that would be. <laughs> do you know what? Do you know what happens to leather when you get it wet, Brad? <laughs> Ruin. <laughs> it's very, very uncomfortable. I understand the fear of the worrying about the boat getting capsized, but that's why you have your oars out handy. And when you see a man oh. coming over, you fucking oar him right in the face. <laughs> and you see a chick coming over, you pull her up onto the boat. Yeah. You know? I, I think it's crazy that fifteen hundred people were in the water and five people came out. Like that's. Yeah. Just insane. That that's, a lot, that's a lot dead. That's a lot. And it's a horrible way to die. They believe that you go into cardiac arrest was the most common way to die. Ooh. Just, just so cold. too cold. Um, Jesus. And they, oh, there was a term I came across. It's not hypothermia. It's actually, it's like, because you, it's, it's, it's something, it's like your mu- muscles like seize up and then you just can't do anything and then you. But it's actually not hypothermia. I can't remember the exact term for it. Um, but then you just drown. So that's uh, another that's way as well. Good information <laughs> to include. Yeah. Sorry. No, I'm just saying that, like, because a lot of people would imagine hypothermia would be the killer. Yeah. But it's cardiac arrest. And I, I think it's like some sort of like sea syndrome or something like that. It only happens mm. when you're in a cold ocean water. It's really weird. Um, I wish I'd written it down now. Yeah, me but too. Yeah, that's, that's how, <laughs> how a lot of people died in the middle of the Atlantic off the coast of. Uh, Nova Scotia. Of, um, Hall- yeah, Halifax, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Halifax, Nova yeah. Scotia. Halifax, Nova Scotia. That's how, that's how you know it's fucking cold. It's off the yeah, coast of Canada. Yeah. Oh, oh. And I also, like, I think the Californian, the captain of the Californian, should have been absolutely fucking blown the fuck out. Like, 
they said even the guys who were on board, like his underlings, I guess, were like, hey, the ship doesn't, like the lights on the ship seem to be a bit higher out of the water than they should be at the back as opposed <laughs> to the front. And he's like, no, no, just keep trying to signal them. She'll be sweet. And they didn't, they didn't come over. They were, they were within range that they could have made it there in, you know, 20 to 30 minutes or something. Nah, not um, his problem. Yeah, and it, that, like, I mean, uh, some people would have died, but you probably would have saved some people as well. The, the issue is that the Carpathian, who was 107 kilometers away, was like, I got this, bro, and they're just like charging there, doing whatever they can, get there just after 4 a.m., and everyone's a bunch of fucking ice cubes floating mm. in the Atlantic, you know? Yeah, shit. Dick move by that guy. Do you just know- proving that all Californians suck. The um- <laughs> Even the, the Olympic versions. The Olympic was actually closer than the Carpathian as well, but they decided <laughs> they decided not to uh, go because by the time they heard over the radio that the ship was sinking, they they decided that it would freak the passengers out too much to <laughs> like jump out of one ship sinking and then see its mirror image like <laughs> sail up beside you. <laughs> That'll do they it. Said it, would cause them, it would cause them too much distress. Go ship, fun fact. As opposed to fucking drowning in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> That's a baller move. Um, That's bizarre. Also, another little, little fun fact there is the Britannic did end up getting built. I um, mm-hmm. think it was delayed by about two or three years. Yep. Um, but when it was launched, it was actually used in World War One as mm-hmm. a hospital ship and Correct. was promptly sunk. Right after that as well. So yeah, it, it hit a mine. Two of the three Olympic, yeah, it hit a German naval mine. Um, wow. But, yeah, two of the three uh, um, Sister Olympic class. class ships, yeah, were, were sunk. And the Olympic itself went on to have a 35-year career before being scuttled. Wow. Do you Ooh. think the guy from the Californian was annoyed that, that he got scolded for his iceberg warning? And he was like, yeah, fuck yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's what's funny. Yeah, yeah, that he... He, he, he was getting like, the guy's like, basically, shut the fuck up, man. I'm trying to take messages for passengers here. <laughs> I reckon he was like, he could hear him on the passenger, hear old mate Jack Phillips going, help us, we're going to drown. And he's just like, flicked the switch off and be like, no, nah, I can't get nothing. <laughs> can't get it <laughs> All right, guys, I'm going to tell us all about the uh, wreckage of the Titanic, the search for it, its discovery. So, um, yeah, well, many people wanted to raise the Titanic back from its cold Atlantic grave and bring it back to the cold Atlantic surface. (laughs) The Guggenheim, Astor and Wideners all lost family members in the sinking and expressed an interest in raising the Titanic. In fact, they actually contracted a company to do just that. However, it was deemed impossible and or impractical, and therefore abandoned. Also, the outbreak of World War I made it not a huge priority in the minds of most people. Still, plenty of wacky theories about how to raise the Titanic were floated. Oh, God. But none of them held any water. Oh, oh fuck it up. Proposals using balloons, ping pong balls, Vaseline, magnets, and even liquid nitrogen were all suggested. But none were ever attempted. In fact, if you wanted to raise the Titanic, you'd first want to know where it was. The exact site of the wreckage was not known. (laughs) And when we're talking about the Atlantic Ocean, saying, oh, you know, somewhere around here, isn't very precise. Mm. In fact, it turns out that the position given by the distress signals were inaccurate. So when the deep sea expedition technology was developed enough to search for the Titanic in earnest, it wasn't so easy to find. Mm. Took James Cameron in a submarine by himself. (laughs) (laughs) 
The first serious attempt to find the wreckage was in 1977 when Robert Ballard, an oceanographer, gathered funding to start a company he called Seasonics International Limited. He used an Alcoa Corporation Ooh. drilling ship, but ended up breaking the drilling pipe, sending $600,000 worth of equipment to Davy Jones's locker. <laughs> so first they Ouch. had to locate the equipment, then they could get back to looking for the Titanic, right? <laughs> yes. So what a setback for the quest to find the elusive mail ship. In 1979, James Goldsmith, a British billionaire, set up a company called Seawise and Titanic Salvage Limited with the aim of finding Titanic <laughs> as a publicity stunt that's a very for his new magazine. company name. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> it was a, for a publicity stunt for his new magazine, Now. Well, he abandoned his expedition, lost a bunch of money, and his magazine folded the next year. So, oh, no. too bad, so sad. I like him. <laughs> Thankfully, Jack Grimm was to the rescue. Grimm, a rich Texan oil man, had funded expeditions to find Noah's Ark, the Loch Ness Monster, and Bigfoot. This guy called in a lot of favours and donated a bunch. (laughs) He's three for three. I was just thinking, it's like, oh, shit. He called... Yeah, go for it. One of these is not like the other. That's all. <laughs> Does he yeah. think that the Titanic was a myth? Is that is that why he- Bigfoot's real? That's the difference. <laughs> right, so this guy called in a lot of favors and donated a bunch of money to Columbia University to get some scientists aboard his ship. He sold meteorites to his discovery, and he even got Orson Welles to sign on board to narrate the inevitable documentary about the wreckage being found. In 1980, he set out on an expedition that covered 500 square nautical miles and identified 14 possible locations of Titanic using sonar technology. The next expedition in 1981, he checked those 14 sites, but it turned out that all 14 were natural features of the ocean. A third Hail Mary expedition was mounted in 1983, but yet again, it came up short. It turns out the technology he used in the first expedition, called Seamark, wasn't advanced enough to pick up the Titanic since they passed right over it during that first look. <laughs> that and is going to shit you off, doesn't it? Wow. You think the technology? You- well, Brad, the technology used in the second expedition, called Deep Toe, was advanced enough to pick it up, but they didn't pass over the Titanic. They did come within two and a half kilometers of it, though. Oh, no. Uh, uh. See, they say it's always in the last place you look, but uh, uh. not in this case, I guess. Uh. They were so uh. close in two different ways. But this, of course, lends credence to my theory that Jack Grimm just barely missed finding Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster as well. So <laughs> we need new expeditions to find them. Oh, shit. Two and a half, probably missed him by two and a half kilometers. <laughs> Finally, uh. the ship was found in 1985, and it was by our good old buddy, Robert Ballard, the incompetent idiot who sank, in today's money, millions of dollars worth of drilling equipment. If Jack Grimm could take any solace from his failed expeditions, it would be that his detailed mapping of the ocean floor during his three expeditions greatly helped Ballard in his discovery. Ballard convinced the US Navy to let him use a new system which they had funded called Argo Jason. Yes, Ballard could look for the Titanic, his pet project, but only after years of carrying out top secret Navy operations using the system. 
So Ballard sold his soul and did the US government's bidding. One of the operations involved locating sunken submarines, USS Thresher and USS Scorpion. Ballard was able to find these submarines and made an important discovery. When ships or submarines sink, they spill their debris very far and in a very specific way. Mm. Ocean currents sort the debris into a straight line with lighter debris further away and heavier debris closer to the vessel. This breakthrough helped him find the wreckage of the Titanic. Instead of searching for one giant vessel using sonar from a ship above, like Grimm had been doing, maybe the best way to find Titanic was by scouring the ocean floor with Argo Jason looking for debris. This way, if you could find something, anything, you could search the surrounding area for another piece of debris, and then you would have a rough idea of the direction to keep searching. Mm. And this is exactly what happened when, on September the 1st, 1985, after a full week of people watching a monitor in shifts, a single piece of Titanic debris was found, a boiler. That was it. From there, it was easy. The next day, they found the vessel and took photos to prove it. 73 years after she sunk, the Titanic was finally found. Buckland hits the music. It's beautiful. In the years following, there were many... <laughs> we'll go on. Uh, you gotta love the Queen of Canada. <laughs> in the years following, there were many expeditions to go and visit the wreckage. Thousands of items were salvaged, and dozens of hours of footage were taken, meticulously exploring the wreckage and documenting it for posterity. In 1995, filmmaker James Cameron decided to get in on the act and went to see the wreck for himself. He filmed it all and used part of the footage in his 1997 blockbuster, Titanic, a movie he conceived of while watching a 1986 National Geographic documentary on Robert Ballard's successful expedition to find the wreckage. Hmm. While watching it, James Cameron wrote down, Do story with bookends of present-day scene of wreck using submersibles intercut intercut with memories of a survivor and recreated scenes of the night of the sinking. A crucible of human values under stress. (laughs) (laughs) yes he said crucible even his notes to himself are pretentious but that's that's james cameron for you there's no denying that the man makes a good movie yeah yeah all right that leads us into morgan's way review morgan's movie review so this week i reviewed titanic no 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 Not Titanic, the 1943 Nazi propaganda film about a German crew member who was begging the British captain to slow down and sail more safely, and who was acting bravely. I did find out about that in my research and figured it was best not to bring it up. And who was acting bravely and selflessly as the ship went down, as opposed to the cowardly British who were being pathetic and selfish during the sinking. (laughs) No... Not Titanic, the 1953 American film about an arguing couple aboard the Titanic having their petty squabbles put into perspective as disaster strikes in the North Atlantic. And no, not the 1996 two-part three-hour miniseries Titanic, starring George C. Scott, known for his role as George S. Patton in the film Patton, Peter Gallagher, known for his role as Sandy Cohen on The O.C., and Catherine Zeta-Jones, 
known for giving Michael Douglas throat cancer. (laughs) 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 No, I reviewed the aforementioned 1997 blockbuster film Titanic. Titanic, 1997, written and directed by James Cameron, is undoubtedly a masterpiece. At the time it was made, it was the most expensive film ever produced, both in terms of real dollars and adjusted for inflation. Wow. And to this day, it remains the highest, the third highest grossing movie adjusted for inflation. Ooh. With a huge budget and a massive runtime of three hours and 14 minutes, it is a Titanic movie in every way possible. Good lord. The special effects are amazing and still hold up today, and the tension is built beautifully throughout the film. It's a tragedy, and you know it's going to be a tragedy, making it just that more gut-wrenching to watch all the foreshadowing, all the numerous times that characters in the movie could have acted to stop the collision before it happened. The actual sinking is masterfully filmed. The impact with the iceberg seems like a minor incident to most passengers as Titanic keeps sailing, seemingly unaffected. To many passengers, it is a bit of excitement on an otherwise uneventful night. After all, this ship is unsinkable, so why worry? The next hour, as Titanic slowly sinks, is filmed essentially in real time. It takes just over an hour of screen time from hitting the iceberg to the last of the ship disappearing below the surface. That hour is gripping, thrilling, but more than anything else, just absolutely tragic. In this way, James Cameron takes a dead historical fact that over 1,500 people lost their lives in a sinking, and brings that to life. He punches you in the stomach with the scale of the disaster, the fear and the horror, the raw emotion of those ill-fated souls. These, this was not a group of 1,500 people. They were 1,500 individuals, each with their own story, each with their own family, each having to face their mortality in a cruel twist of fate in the vast expanse of the cold North Atlantic. I challenge anyone to watch that hour and not feel sick to their stomach. It is a tragedy, expertly filmed and edited. This is not to say that the movie is perfect. I can't fault the sinking. It was a captivating hour or so, and more than worth sitting through the other two and a half hours for. My criticism is in the characters. The heroes are perfect, and the villains have no redeeming qualities, no humanising moments. Rose is smart, self-assured, and always ready with a witty remark, never expressing a fault. Jack is endlessly charming with only pure intentions. Rose's fiancé, however, manages to show how evil he is in every single scene, and when he's not being (laughs) evil, he is foolish. Not noticing talented artists, criticising the ship for having too many lifeboats, saying something derogatory about women or poor people. Rose's mother is only concerned with herself and putting on airs. There is not a moment when she sympathises with Rose's plight, or sees anyone out of her circle as human beings worthy of dignity. This was a drama, a tragedy, not a superhero movie. In a drama, people should be realistic and relatable. The heroes shouldn't be perfect, and the villains shouldn't be perfectly evil. The other thing that bothered me, and this might be (laughs) particular to me because of my condition. The The majority of the film is set in 1912 as a story being told in the present day by a 100-year-old woman to a group of people. (laughs) But there were many 1912 scenes that she was not present in. Therefore, I couldn't help thinking how we were being shown things that this old bird couldn't possibly know. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I know it's a plot device, but it kept pulling me out of the movie because I kept wondering, okay, is this scene being told to the present day people 
or is this a filler scene just for us so they wouldn't be hearing this part? <laughs> Again, this might be my issue. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. one point off for each of those things. Eight out of ten. Fantastic movie. Oh, hmm. okay. Uh, full disclosure, I have never seen that movie in its entirety. I've seen bits and pieces, but it's just too fucking long. It can't. Yeah. I don't think anything can hold my attention for that long. Really? Really. It's no, too long. It's... I've, I've, I'm pretty sure I've seen the whole thing, but not yeah. in one go. You can kind of watch the sinking as its own thing, I think. Also, there was plenty of room on that fucking door for both of them. Uh, yeah, uh, Rose is a piece of shit. Fucking nah. Rose. She's letting him, letting him fucking freeze to death right in front mm. of her face. There was mm-hmm. more than enough room for both of them. You could put, fit five people on that door. This is this is stupid for two reasons. Reason the first <laughs> is, as James Cameron said, the reason there was not room for her on the room for him on the door is because in the story he is supposed to die. So <laughs> if somebody had have pointed, if somebody had have pointed out during filming, hey, that door's big enough, James Cameron wouldn't have been like, hmm, okay, get him on there as well, and then he'll live. <laughs> Like, don't be an idiot. And second of all... James Cameron's a fool. He could have just used a smaller door. Yeah, use a smaller door. But this is the other thing. Have you guys seen the movie recently? They both try to get on the door and they can't. It doesn't hold them. Yeah, it's a pathetic attempt. It's a pathetic attempt to get on the door. And they flip off. They gave up on it straight away. They're like, no, it's chill. You just fucking freeze to death. It's fine. No, that's bullshit. James Cameron, fuck that. That ending fucked it. Should have used a smaller door. Should have used a smaller door. Make it believable. They gave up after one attempt after you're freezing to death in the Atlantic. Fuck off. That's right. Give it another go. Wait 10 Mm. minutes, give it another go. Exactly. Think about it, you know. (laughs) I can write a better movie than James Cameron (laughs) without using the word crucible. (laughs) Um, Anyway, for our our younger listeners, I just want to point this out. Um, You may know... Younger meaning younger than us. They don't have to be, you know, like minors or anything. But younger yeah. than us. Um, I had a friend in primary school who was a, a couple of years older than us. So, he he was 11 when this movie came out, right? Mm-hmm. And he went to see the movie in the cinema with his um, sister or parents or whatever. That's a weird movie to take kids to. Whatever. He told me. You can see Kate Woodlet's boobs in it. And I was like, <laughs> oh, okay. Ah, yes. So, then... The next week when I saw him at school, he says to me, oh, I went and saw Titanic again. And I was like, what? And he was like, yeah, I wanted to see Kate Winslet's boobs again. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm pretty mother- sure I know who this was. <laughs> okay, don't say it. But this motherfucker... <laughs> this motherfucker wanted to see boobs so bad that he sat through... Titanic, three hours and fifteen minutes, a second time, just so we can see like, five seconds worth of boobs. So, to the kids who grew up, uh, you know, after us, just appreciate. That's the, right. Uh, we, the lengths we, we used to we go to. We did not have unfettered access to just disgusting amounts of disgusting porn. You know, is, we had to we had to uh, work for it. Yeah, uh, that's beautiful. Anyway, I really liked the movie. I think it was it was excellent, but. Um, yeah, you know, it, it is definitely made for ladies, I think. You know, a bit of a chick flick. But, mm-hmm. you know, that sinking is just intense. It's yeah. so full on. And I, I've yeah. seen that movie a bunch of times, but I think, you know, when you're a kid, you don't really realize how no, fucked up shit is. you don't, you don't is, appreciate you just, the scope of it. The gravitas of the situation. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, so it was pretty pretty full on yeah. to watch. And Shadow that was sneaking scene like always gets time. me. It always gets me. I fucking uh, the the idea of drowning. Uh, not a fan, especially like if you could see the freedom on the other side of like a chain link fucking door. It's like ah uh, ah, uh, so upsetting. I was so close to living. Fuck you. Let me just be. Oh, definitely haunting someone if that happens. Become a sea ghost. <laughs> 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 Like a mermaid Uh, ghost or something. Alright, so, uh, Lachlan, do you want to tell us why we're all wrong? (laughs) Hang on, before he starts, I just a question. Do you guys know if there's any, you know, Titanic survivors still around? I know it's over 100 years ago. Any any guesses? I think... You tell us, Fred. I think you... No, I do. I know, I know. I feel like there's one and he was like a little baby at the time or something. Well, see your guess? No, you'd have to be 110. No. Okay. Uh, no, okay, Mil- Millie Vina Dean from England was the last person to have survived the Titanic, and she was nine weeks old when Damn. the incident took place, and she died at the age of 97 in 2009, so there you go. Little- there you go. Probably didn't traumatize her if she was only nine months old. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, nine, nine weeks, mate, nine weeks. While we're talking about Titanic fun facts. Yeah. Uh, there's a, a woman named Violet Jessup who was on the Olympic when it had its first little incident that I'll talk about in a minute. It, mm-hmm. She was on the Titanic <laughs> when it sank and she was on the Britannic when it got hit by the mine and she survived all three. <laughs> or she was instrumental in taking the don't, don't get on a ship with that woman. <laughs> yeah. She's like Brad's friend from last week. Yeah. <laughs> or whatever it was. Was the final destination. Yeah. Alright. I've been holding my tongue. Okay. But <laughs> let me tell you why everything you've heard in the last fifty minutes is complete bullshit. <laughs> now there are many theories out there about what happened on April fifteenth, nineteen twelve. But what really happened? Some say it was an attack from a German U-boat that sank the Titanic. Some say there was a slow-burning fire in the lower decks. Some say it was the curse of a mummy that was on board, which is actually true. There was a mummy on board. Some say UFOs. Some even think the Titanic hit an iceberg. (laughs) Idiots. As unbelievable as that last theory is, it's actually the closest of all of them to the truth. But uh-huh. it shares the same fatal flaw that all of these theories do, that the ship that sank that day was the Titanic. As Brad mentioned earlier, the Titanic was not the only ship of its kind. It was actually the second of White Star Line's Olympic class, the first being the RMS Olympic, for which the class was named. The Olympic was launched the year before the Titanic, and on her fifth voyage, collided with the British military cruiser HMS Hawk. The Hawk's bow was designed to sink ships, so when she dragged along the side of the Olympic, she easily tore a massive hole in the hull. The Olympic Mm. was patched up and sailed back to Belfast for proper repairs. And that's the voyage I was talking about that uh, Violet Jessup was on. White Star Line, of course, had insurance on the Olympic, but as a trial with the British Navy found captain edward smith to be responsible for the collision (laughs) no money was paid out captain edward smith as you may remember was the captain of the titanic when it sank 
This was a financial disaster for White Star Line. An American banker and owner of International Mercantile Marine Company, White Star Line's parent company, J.P. Morgan, was on the hook for the bill. You may have heard that name. (laughs) Understandably, he was none too happy about how much the Olympic was costing him. A ship with such severe hull damage was going to need constant repairs over its lifetime to stay in service and would probably cost more to operate than the revenue she would bring in. So J.P. Morgan and J. Bruce Ismay, the head of White Star Line, hatched a devious plan. Docked right next to the Olympic was the almost identical Titanic, still under construction and insured for $5 million. If she were to sink Mm. in the open ocean, White Star would receive the full amount. But the Titanic cost $7.5 million to build. That's no way to recoup your losses. But what if it wasn't? the brand new Titanic that came upon disaster. What if you swapped her out for a look-alike that was already losing money? (laughs) And so it went. The Olympic became the Titanic, and the Titanic became the Olympic. Captain Smith, massively indebted to Morgan and Ismay due to his previous run-ins, to very powerful and dangerous men, kept his command of the Olympic, now the Titanic, and set off to hit an iceberg. The Titanic, now the Olympic, had a successful career as a passenger liner and then a troop transport through World War I. White Star Line got their insurance payout and three of J.P. Morgan's fiercest competitors drowned in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Case closed. (laughs) Were they similar in uh, size and birth and all that? Yeah, they were almost identical. They were almost identical. Yeah, yeah there were some minor differences to inside decorum and stuff like that, and they made some changes to the external doors. They put some mm-hmm. doors in there to provide extra protection for um, first-class passengers, but uh, it, like they made sliding doors for wind protection, not for you know safety protection. Yeah, you know what I mean? pretty open and um, shut to me. But yeah, they were, they were pretty much identical. There were some minor upgrades, minor changes they made between the two because they were both being built at the same time, so... Mm. You know, it, it would make would make sense that they're almost identical. Mm. Interesting. <laughs> Can you prove any of this, Uncle? Yeah. Oh, you want proof? Yeah. yeah. All right. How about this? The Olympic <laughs> served for another twenty four years after she was repaired, and in fact collided <laughs> with two other vessels: the lightship Nantucket and a German U boat. Olympic sank them both and sustained no damage. She became known as Old Reliable. Does that sound like the career of a ship with a patched up hole in her hull? The (laughs) Titanic had a two degree list of port due to improper ballast. You know what other ship had a two degree list of port due to improper ballast? The answer is the Olympic, but only before she hit the HMS Hawk. While she was still in dry dock, the first T in the Titanic's nameplate was about halfway between the third and fourth porthole, and the C was under the fifth. When she launched, that T was almost underneath the third porthole, and the C was still under the fifth. The word Olympic occupies more space than the word Titanic, due to the I's and the O's getting swapped around. The Titanic had 14 portholes during construction, but somehow gained two more at launch. Guess how many portholes the Olympic had? 16. 16. 
When the superstructure of Titanic was launched out of dry dock, the windows on B deck were evenly spaced. Upon her launch, they were unevenly spaced, just as Olympics were. Photos of the two ship in construction show that there were differences in the joint plating forward of the portside anchor. Photos of the Olympic from 1913 show the same joint plating matching the Titanic. A photo of the Titanic on her trip from Belfast to Southampton in preparation for her maiden voyage shows a large area of discolored plating in exactly the same spot HMS Hawk hit Olympic. White Star Line traditionally etched their ship's names into the hull, then painted into the etching. Titanic's name is only painted on, not etched. Titanic's sea trials were shorter than Olympic's. Olympic's trials lasted for two full days, while Titanic's weren't even a full day, and she was never pushed over half speed, almost like her hull wouldn't stand up to it. Titanic was never open to the press and public before her maiden voyage, as was customary with all new White Star Line ships. J.P. Morgan was set to be on the maiden voyage, but cancelled the trip at the last minute, claiming ill health. A reporter spoke to him two days later at a French resort with his mistress perfectly healthy. J. Bruce Islay's wife and children were also booked on the trip, but also cancelled due to ill health, and instead went on a motoring holiday. Titanic's lifeboats had the name Olympic carved into their gunwales. There were several other ships very close to the site of the Titanic's crash, despite a national coal shortage that would make it prohibitively expensive to sail, almost as if they knew there would be people nearby to be rescued. The SS Californian, another ship owned by a J.P. Morgan subsidiary, was only 19 miles away and had all her boilers fired despite being stationary for the night. She also had thousands of woolen blankets on board despite being a cotton transport ship. Survivors from B-Deck recall seeing the lifeboats lowered from above them. Photos of the Titanic during construction show the lifeboats hanging from B-Deck, not A-Deck, as on the Olympic. Harold Sanderson, an employee of Harland and Wolfe, who built the two ships, repeatedly referred to the Titanic as the Olympic during the British inquiry into the disaster and had to be continuously corrected. And I could go on, but it seems pointless when the evidence is that cut and dry. The Titanic really was the unsinkable ship. J.P. Morgan and his associates just don't want you to know that. Wow. <laughs> Holy shit. There's a lot to process there. Prove um, me wrong. Change my mind. Change my mind indeed. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, it would explain why the California never, never right. intervened. Yeah. Um, explains a lot. So explains everything, in fact. With, <laughs> with that, um, you know, I haven't looked this up. <laughs> I haven't looked into the conspiracy angle of this at all. So, you know. Your third eye <laughs> hasn't been opened. Without, without trying to ruin your bid here, can you give me an indication of how much you believe this theory? Uh, I'm about 50-50 on it. Really? That I, think it's, I think it's plausible. Okay. Is there, you know, I said prove it, and then you gave me a list of all the reasons why it definitely did happen. <laughs> If if I had said prove it, give me a list of all the reasons it didn't. Are there good reasons that it didn't happen? Uh, I mean, if you want to take the wind out of my sails, about half of that stuff that I said is pretty easily refuted. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think the largest one here might be that I, when it, I mean I, I could be incorrect here, but when I was researching, I saw that the the coverage for um, insurance was uh, one million pounds per ship. Mm. which is, you know, close to 96 million pounds today. Um, and 
they had a, like a special thing. It was something um, that they didn't have to pay in excess of a certain sum or, or something like that, and it was all paid out within thirty days, which is kind of weird. But uh, they the the ship itself cost something like five or six million pounds to make, so you're not you're getting like a twenty percent return on investment. It doesn't make any sense to scuttle it, like to sink it. Like you're not making well, a lot of money back. Well, yeah, but if you've got a ship that's just going to lose you money by operating because of how many repairs it's going to need, you know. No, that's true, I guess. Better off better off cutting your losses, get the insurance money. Yeah. I mean, you don't come out ahead, you just don't lose as much. Is that that's right. where you're exactly. going with it? Okay. Yeah. yeah, okay. Cut your losses. Cut quit your losses. While you're, quit while you're behind. Yeah, I mean, I also know when they lost the Britannic as well, Mm. They were compensated with a German ship at the end of the war, weren't they? They were. Oh, really? I didn't know. Yeah, that. it was called the SS Bismarck. Funnily enough. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, I and mean, it was a it was another passenger liner that they confiscated off the Germans at the end of the war. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. So, I mean, they there did they did get some compensation for that. Huh? I don't know. I, some of the stuff you're saying was really was hitting home, like the portholes. Yeah. Man. Portholes. The portholes. The fucking one. portholes. That's a big one. Mm. They, there's this website, uh, titanicswitch.com. Uh, <laughs> they're actually out to disprove this theory. Um, oh, really? And they they just refute the portholes by saying, oh, well, they added them after construction. But how do you add portholes? Like, it's not that easy, you know? Yeah. I mean, the lifeboats is pretty easy because they just needed lifeboats. They didn't have a full set of Titanic lifeboats. They just grabbed some Olympic ones, you know? I guess. There, uh, there are some weird inconsistencies there, and I do know that there like, is. rich, rich uh, British tycoons and American tycoons were all mm. about making money at the cost of the, absolutely. They'd kill the, thousands the, of people, no yeah. questions asked. Absolutely, look at the fucking <laughs> golden age of industry. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, I would, I actually, that's the thing is, I probably wouldn't put it outside of the scope of something that they would do. You know, no, like, that's right. Sink it, make money. Maybe they plan to help have the ships around to help people so it wouldn't be that big of a deal. Well, that yeah, that's the thing. Uh, mm. Allegedly, they were trying to save the people, and that's why there were so many ships around, but it just didn't work out. Um, yeah. The other thing is, and this is a bit, you know, three brackets type thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> JP oh, Morgan, JP Morgan was really pushing to set up the US Federal Reserve. Mm-hmm. Um, and his the, those three fiercest competitors that I mentioned, those three were all really like forcefully opposing it. Ah. Um, and they died on the Titanic. And then the next year, up in he fucking gives birth to the U.S. Federal Reserve, which, if anyone is familiar at all with uh, the economy, is a very very bad thing. Um, <laughs> you basically control the government if you control the Federal Reserve. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so you think JP Morgan tried to take the country down from the inside using well, the Titanic as a- No, he didn't the- try to take the country down. He just wanted more more power, more control. Yeah, take the country down from the inside. <laughs> Glad he's dead. <laughs> and yet his name lives on. I know. <laughs> Good name, too. Um- <laughs> now, now, you guys, I know what you're thinking, that the Titanic, you know, a lot of people died. That must be the most people who have ever died on a ship before, 1,500 people. Mm. It does not seem even, like a lot, yeah. Not mm. even close. Not even really? close. Yeah. So, in terms of the, um, you know, non, 
like the peacetime, the peacetime. Yeah, not warships. Yeah, yeah, not warships. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, during peacetime, it's the fourth deadliest. What? Whoa! What's the most? It's actually, it's actually very close to being the sixth deadliest as well, because the fifth deadliest is is, um, from China, and it says fifteen hundred plus. And Uh, uh, there's one in Egypt that was fourteen hundred, but the deadliest one was in nineteen eighty-seven. Chinese people count. In 1987, um, in the Philippines, a, uh, a ferry sunk, and uh, you know it collided oh, with uh, an oil tanker, and 4,386 people died. Holy shit! What are a ferry and an oil tanker doing in the same vicinity for starters? A ferry should not have 4,000 people on it. Ferries aren't big boats. <laughs> so I think. It, okay, is it the is it the highest that it isn't in like a like Southeast Asia? <laughs> Because if you pack um, 6,000 people onto a boat, it's going yeah, to sink. If you're looking at it as percentage of, you know, home country's population. <laughs> yeah. No, there was, was 2,000 people died in a, um, a collision between two ships in uh, just off the coast of Canada. Actually, very close oh. to where the Titanic went down off the coast of Ooh, um, Halifax. Bermuda Triangle of Western wow. ships. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and then if, <laughs> if we start, <laughs> if we, if we start including, if we start including, um, you know, wartime disasters, then the most people died ever in a, uh, ship <laughs> in wartime oh, was 9,343. Holy shit. Okay. Where and how? That's three nine elevens um, all at once. Yeah. Simultaneous. Um, hit by a, a, a German ship that was hit by um Soviet submarine. Oh, well, that's <laughs> okay. They were Nazis. That's fine. Yeah, but yeah. how is there 9,000 people in a ship? That's insanity. I know. But anyway, if you go through the wartime ones, there's just like 9,000, yeah. 7,000, 7,000, 5,000, 5,000, 5,000. There's heaps. But interesting fact, um, <laughs> the, uh, the Nazi propaganda film Titanic... 1943, was filmed aboard the SS Cap Arcona, mm. right? German German ship, um, a German, you know, ferry, like a cruise ship. Yeah. And during the war, that was actually sunk by the British accidentally. They thought it was a warship, but it, but it was a cruise ship. And, oh, no. Um, yeah. yeah heaps, accidentally. And heaps and heaps of people died. 5,000 people died. Oh, Jesus. So, the ship on which the Titanic was filmed- in 1943, ended Way up going more down actually with 5,000 civilians on than, than yeah. in the film. That's crazy. I just didn't, just between, I'd say, between like like the 1880s and like the 1950s, I just feel like it was, yeah, 1950s, 1960s. I just think being on a ship was hazardous to your health. <laughs> so many of them just sunk for ridiculous reasons as well. Like someone sneezed at it. Even now, being on a ship is hazardous to your health. Like, first of all, look at the fucking Ruby Princess. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking zombie plague ship. Um, But how often do you hear of people on cruises, like one person will get gastro and it just tears through the entire ship? Yeah, that's true. It's just, don't go on ships. They're a bad idea. Yeah. I mean, cruise ships are a hotbed for death and disease. Disease, yeah. Yeah. It's just and they're full of old people as well, because old people have got the time and the money because they're retired. So, <laughs> you know. 
All right, Brad, it's uh, time for your power rankings, uh, I think. Can't wait for it, mate. Brad's power rankings. All right, so this week's power rankings are top five actresses whose hulls I'd like to breach a la the Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Come on, Brad. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Just before we uh, get started, I, I want to clarify, this is these ladies when they're at their peak spiciness, so, you know, time's a cruel mistress who uh, will get us all, and oh, I know a lot okay. of these women That's... are still, you know, hard nines, but they might have been elevens at their peak, so. <laughs> okay. All right. Number one, Betty White. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, unfortunately, she didn't make the list today, but she could have. Um, uh, she was number six, I'm sure. <laughs> anyway. Starting at five, working to one. All right. Uh, number five is the HMHS Isla Fisher. Oh, yeah. HMHS. HMHS, which is Her Majesty's Hospital Ship, uh, for anyone who's interested. Uh, oh, you're giving them ship titles. All right. Yeah, you like that? It's the whole thing. All right. Ship prefaces, yeah. <laughs> um, so, redhead, check. Slightly uh-huh. crazy and might glue my dick to my stomach in my sleep, check. What more could I lose? Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, honestly, <laughs> she's a very spicy lady. She, she is, is very spicy, very attractive, much more Probably attractive than a woman that Sasha Baron Cohen should be able to get. Yes, absolutely. Oh, yeah. he is not a good-looking <laughs> dude. All right, number four, the RMS Amy Smart. Amy Smart oh, yeah. is okay. a quiet achiever, in my opinion. A vintage uh, pick here. Yes, everyone knows her, but not everyone seems to know who she is until you're reminded of her. Mm. She's the female lead in The Butterfly Effect and Just Friends, or my personal favourite, Beth from The Road Trip. You all know I'm fucking right. (laughs) She's up. She's slamming. Uh, Number three, the HMS Alicia Cuspert. Yeah. 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 I have watched The Girl Next Door no less than 100 times, and it's only 49% of the time for Emile Hirsch. (laughs) <laughs> the other the other fifty one percent is for this Canadian bombshell. She'd be higher on the list, but for the fact that she dated ex NHLer Sean Avery and that almost <laughs> ruins her for me. <laughs> oh shit, of course. I forgot about that. Yes. He got suspended from Dallas for um yeah, insulting her. Yes. When he uh said that that uh, that guy, whoever it was, had his sloppy seconds. <laughs> yeah, anyway, uh number two. The MS Olivia Wilde. Oh, all right. I mean, so, uh, Liam will be very happy about that. Mm. I mean, what oh, can no, I did say? he say Mun? He said Mun. No, I said Olivia Wilde. No, but Liam. What did I think, uh, Liam, I think say? Liam said Olivia Mun? Mun. Yeah, he said right. Mun. I mean, what can I say? Too. She played thirteen on House and starred in the Neutron. And something about Miss Wilde screams, "I fuck hard and fast," and I totally dig it. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't agree with me, just watch the change up and thank me later. Jason Sudeikis is a lucky man. I think it's I think it's her eyes. Something about her eyes. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. But I put it in it. Um, <laughs> now, number one, I need your help here, boys, because I've picked three people that I have an affinity for. Oh, okay. I, I just can't split them, so I need you guys to make the final. They're all Japanese, aren't they? That's the top. <laughs> no, no, no. I understand, but I, I want some community participation. This is a people's podcast, right? So Brad, I want some democracy. That's a top seven. That's not a top five. <laughs> No, because only one of them's going in the list. The rest will just be kicked out unfairly and unnecessarily. But honorable they, they, they should have been number two and number three. <laughs> no, they've been kicked out. All right, okay. 
So you've got to you got to help me here because I've picked the SS Jessica Biel, the SS Michelle Trachtenberg, and the SS Natalie Portman. No, oh, no wrong. definitely not Natalie Portman. All right, so there goes Natalie Portman. How is she even in consideration? This listen, all right. I think that they're three extremely attractive. Brad women. really liked Leon the Professional, and he's talking about when <laughs> they're in their prime. Yeah, I said peak spiciness. Okay. Um, <laughs> My, oh, like, I think I'm leaning towards Jessica Biel, but I have a big thing for Michelle Trachtenberg. You guys, I don't know who Michelle Trachtenberg Brad, what is. What, what is it with in? you and these skinny tall girls? Like that is not. I was not picking that from you. Like Jessica Biel, where's the curves? To be honest, nah. Um, uh, anyway, oh no, Michelle Trachtenberg is weird looking. Okay, yeah, in a good way. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. She's very attractive. But, Brad, the number one is Scarlett Johansson. There's yeah. absolutely oh, no denying it She's got the husky voice as well. Everyone loves the husky oh, voice. She went and got that titties. She got on titties downsides. That is the... Brad, we're talking about Prime here. Oh, that's true. Prime. Yeah, we did, yeah. Mm. Mm. Lost in Translation. Mm. What was that another movie? What was that one she was in as a kid? <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> Okay, yeah, let's go. Let's keep. Well, I mean, I did ask for participation, so if you guys agree on Scarlett Johansson, we'll go with Scarlett Scar- Johansson. Yeah, yeah. Scarlett Johansson. Lock super it in. That's my favorite for this week. Um. King. Uh. Queen. All right, thanks for that, Brad. <laughs> well, I think this episode ended up running a little bit long, so it was a Titanic oh. episode in the end. <laughs> but for this topic, I'm sure you all appreciate it. And. You know, Titanic is all something that we've all known about since we were kids. It's always been exciting. It's always been interesting. It's been a big blockbuster movie about it. I'm sure you've all seen it, even if you haven't watched the whole thing in sequence, like our friend Lachlan over here. (laughs) So, you know a lot about it, but hopefully today's episode helped you learn uh, a little bit more about it and gave you an appreciation for the the devastation and the, the scale and, and now you know the truth disaster. about what really happened. Yeah. Yes. Also, now you can tell all your friends that it was actually the Olympic or yeah. the Olympia. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I've been hinting at it for years and we finally mm. talked about it. And uh, <laughs> on that note, thank you everyone for listening. We do appreciate it. Uh, please share these episodes with your friends. That'd be really helpful. Uh, you can also follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Subscribe to the show, Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes. That'll make sure you get them every week, every Sunday, when they come out. Uh, and all that stuff is on our website, bradisabadperson.com. And I just want to say thank you to everyone who has filled out the survey so far. Getting some good responses. Um, if you haven't filled it out yet, please jump in there bradisabadperson.com slash survey it'll only take a couple of minutes and it would really be a big favour to us if you could do that Mm. Uh, absolutely titanic (laughs) favour that's right so thank you everyone for listening and uh, we'll catch you in the next one